In just a moment, we're going to read a, a fuller section of John chapter 18. But before we do that, I, I find in this passage of Scripture one of those close calls. And again, we're, we're only doing this just for our own mental exercise because I know that God doesn't have ifs. He knows. But what if? Sometimes we rehearse those what ifs in our mind. What if? Uh, this was uh, back in 1961. It was on January 23rd. It was three days after the inauguration of John F. Kennedy. And it was at the height of what's referred to today as the Cuban Missile Crisis. There were B-52s that, uh, B-52 bombers that were at that time on almost... Um, um, a rotation where there was always B-52s that were flying and they were fully armed with nuclear bombs, massive nuclear bombs. The world maybe at that time was closer to some nuclear engagement than at any other time post Hiroshima. The B-52 had taken off and something went wrong over Goldsboro, North Carolina. It was trying to refuel in the air and the refueling um, pilot radios to the B-52 that it was aborting because it was leaking fuel. It began to rapidly leak fuel and thousands of gallons of fuel were lost in this massive airplane in just a matter of two minutes. As the pilots attempted to limp back to their base in North Carolina for an emergency landing, the imbalance of the plane from the lost fuel caused the plane incredible instability and the plane began to literally break apart. Eventually, because of the turbulence and the, the, the in a sense, dismembering of this airplane, the right wing finally fully dislodged from the plane and the plane now carrying two massive nuclear bombs went into a tailspin. There were eight crew members. Um, five of them safely were able to eject. Um, one of the pilots actually was able to eject from a hatch in the top of the cockpit. Uh, two people actually died as a result of the spin. At this point, on board the plane were a pair of 3.8 megaton Mark 39 atomic bombs. Both bombs were thrown from the plane. Both had parachutes, one deployed, the other was finally, after it struck the earth, entombed in the earth. That bomb struck the ground at nearly 700 miles an hour. Neither of the bombs exploded. There are four safety mechanisms intended to prevent the unintended detonation. Three of the four had failed. The last was a low-voltage safety switch. This switch is interesting. In fact, um, it took them three days to finally just get to the place where they could access this safety switch. And one of the men that was standing there said, I will never forget the day when the officer, the sergeant, said, we found the safety switch. And the person attending there said, thank goodness. He said, no. It reads armed. The safety switch itself actually deployed, but because of the impact, 
the wires that needed to be crossed to engage the bomb were dislodged. Therefore, the bomb did not detonate. That bomb was 260 times more powerful than the bomb that detonated over Hiroshima. Um, there are some articles that are written, if you begin to search and just read about what happened, one of the articles reads, the day the United States almost lost North Carolina. One of the things that you look back on and you say is, that was close. The passage we're about to look at today, if the intended desire, the conclusion that some of the disciples wanted to see happen, if those things had happened, wow, that that was close. Again, I understand the, the sovereign good hand of God, but I also understand that oftentimes if I got my way, if you got your way, if the plan that seemed to make the most sense to you is the plan that unfolded, how different the good plan of God that would have never taken place because our plan won. We might look back on our own life and say, that was close. Your Bible's open to John chapter 18, verse number one. Tonight, the title of our message is simply this, the sword and the cup. John chapter 18, beginning in verse number one. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servants and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. You and I seldom like the words, especially when we have offered it. We don't like the words, I don't need your help. Yet it comes when we begin to think of the plan of God that our help only hinders. We can't help God. 
We can participate. We can go along with his plan, but we really can't help God along. The setting for our passage tonight is that Judas had just betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Jesus then voluntarily surrenders to those who will treat him the Lord of glory as a murderer, as a common thief. What a great travesty of justice this is. The disciples are about to ask an honest question. It's recorded in Luke 22, beginning in verse 48. But Jesus said unto him, Judas, betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss? When they which were about him, that is his disciples, saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Lord, is now the time? Shall we engage? Now think about the idea of that was a close call. The apostle Peter may still be a bit stung and slightly confused from the words of Christ that were spoken to him earlier that evening. Earlier, and he said unto him, Lord, Peter speaking to Jesus, I am ready to go with thee both to prison and to death. And he, that is Jesus, said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me. Ouch. Jesus, I will go with you. And maybe he turns and he looks with some disdain at the others. That these may not, but I will go with you to prison. I will go with you to death. Peter, I'm telling you, the rooster will not crow before you shall have three times denied that you even know me. And so now Peter, willing to demonstrate his boldness, does draw his sword. And now to take some action, he takes a swing at the person closest to him, Malchus, the high priest's servant. Malchus, of course, taking evasive action, begins to move quickly his head, and as the sword is swung, he just barely misses literally taking his life, but he does take off part of him. His ear is removed through the swing of the sword. And now Jesus, it's as if Jesus says, as things almost get hostile, it's almost as if Jesus calms the moment. John chapter 18, verse number 11, then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? And he heals the high priest's servant's ear. Let's ask before we proceed, what if? What if? What if the disciples had fought and overcome the soldiers that had come to take Jesus? What if? I would submit there are three possible conclusions to what if they all had taken on the crowd that had come to arrest and carry off their Lord. What if the disciples had fought? Number one, they would have confirmed the suspicion that they were another group of political zealots plotting for the overthrow of Rome. Aha, we knew who they were. This is just another one of those radicalized Jews that are striving to topple the government. 
And they're willing to do so by force. And so now that which we suspected is actually confirmed. It's just another one of those that we have already seen, those trying to conquer Rome. Next, they would have given justification that armed guards were necessary to arrest Jesus. It is a good thing that we came with our staves and with our swords. Because look here, they're prepared for battle. It's good that we came the same way. And so justified, they come with sword drawn to take away Jesus into captivity. Certainly fortunate that we were prepared for this radical group of warriors. Third, they would have been the disciples, in effect, working on behalf of Satan, advancing his plan instead of the plan of God for the redemption of mankind. What if they would have drawn sword? What if they would have stopped those that would apprehend Jesus? What if Peter got his way? No, Lord, they'll not take you under my watch. Then Peter, who will drink the cup and bear the wrath of God? Jesus had said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan, just hours before. Yet Satan was working to advance the plan. Certainly the soldiers now had their own swords drawn and battle would soon begin. Then Jesus would be taken and justly crucified because of his rebellion against Rome. Then what of the 11 disciples, those for whom Christ died and those who would become the foundation of the church? If Peter had drawn sword, if others had followed and they are successful, what happens to the disciples? Where are those messengers that will go and literally blaze the gospel the world over? Again, notice the poise with which Jesus recovers the situation. Luke 22, beginning in verse 50. And one of them smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, suffer ye. In other words, he's saying, pause for a moment. Allow me this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. We can admire his humility in asking for a moment, suffer me, allow me a moment. And his calmness, even in the most complicated of circumstances. And we admire his kindness, even to his enemies and healing the ear of Malchus. And if we pause for just a moment, it bears saying, did you notice that the work of God here is not advanced with violence? Did you notice that the work of God here, it is not advanced with sword and stone. It is not advanced with the brute force of mankind. It is advanced as the lamb approaches the slaughter. Jesus is not forbidding, I might add, the use of the sword. That is clear all throughout scripture. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou doest that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. But how different here Jesus is 
pause for a moment again and consider the other faiths of mankind. How different Jesus is here than the Muslim faith. Islam, as we so often see, is not a religion of peace. Christianity is led by the Prince of Peace who tells Peter to put away his sword. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Our motto is so very different than kill the infidels. Rather, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Jesus reminds Peter of a very important truth. Thinkest thou that I cannot pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels? Instead, Jesus had come for another purpose. Then said Jesus unto Peter, put up thy sword into thy sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? The sword or the cup? Jesus had come for a purpose. He came to drink the cup. He had wrestled with this in Gethsemane and now he left the garden prepared to drink it to the full. It is important to note that it was a cup, not a spring that knows no end. It was a cup with a brim. It would hold no more than its measure, but it was also a cup that if he didn't drink it, then that cup of wrath must be poured out upon you and upon me. But Christ took and he drank the cup to the full. It contained the entire curse of the law, the horrors of our guilt, our sin, our shame, the terrors of Satan's fiercest attacks and the suffering of both body and soul. This Jesus must drink. And while all the surrounded terrors of darkness and the abandonment of the Father would come, he must willingly, not by force, not by coercion, he must of himself willingly take the cup. And as he did, what does God, the Father, the just, the Holy One do? He did what was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 6. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Which would you rather have? The sword in your hand or the cup in his? Because he drank that cup, we can now say there is therefore now no condemnation. Let the words resonate in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed.